0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Tech Trends Podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing uh, research and news. I'm Benjamin Moses, the Director of Manufacturing Technology, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, Manufacturing Technology Analyst. Hey, Steve, how's it going? Welcome to the second episode of
1: 2020. Thank you, sir. Uh, it's going great. Yeah, I think we're having an awesome year this year. Yep. Uh, um. Best wishes to China and all that they're, they're going through right now. That's a lot of problems there. That is a lot of issues. Um, it's actually affected the
0: test bed a little bit, but yeah. we'll get into that later. Yep. I just want to mention this episode is sponsored by the MT36 Conference. It's a great uh, conference that we discuss the latest in transforming technology for manufacturing. We have a great series of speakers and some dynamic personalities on stage to talk about <clears throat> use cases and uh, new technologies entering manufacturing. And also, it's a great, uh, great exhibition space. We're converting it to a virtual factory. We'll be able to. Meet and greet everyone. So check out mt360conference.com, uh, and uh, hopefully I'll see you there. Before we get into the meat of it, I just want to give a shout-out to one of our space astro- uh, NASA astronauts, uh, Christina Koch. Christina Koch uh, <clears throat> uh, her efforts. So she's a NASA astronaut that spent 326 consecutive wow. days on the, st- on the station, uh, which is a long time. Yeah. Just under a year. Her tour included...
1: 5,248 orbits. That's a lot of sunrises. Yeah, that is. <laughs> That's actually fascinating now that you think about it, because yeah. it's like 328 days, but 5,000 something plus yeah. uh, orbits. Yeah. And it's like, wow.
0: They're on a different level, quite literally. <clears throat> she traversed 139 million miles. That's a lot of frequent far miles. <laughs> <laughs> she be better be getting first class for life. <laughs> Uh, So also a cool thing that she mentioned is uh, she spent quite a bit of time outside the station. So she completed six spacewalks. No way. It was really cool. And she was one of the first. uh, She is the first that did an all-female spacewalk with the the group of other uh, astronauts up there. So that was really fascinating. That is awesome. So I just want to give a shout out to her that uh, her efforts that uh, the article mentions her contributions will be used for long-duration spaceflight to the moon. Of course, that's – I think that's the next – uh thing to start for nasa look into yeah but also everyone's looking at mars so mm-hmm. really really long space travel so yeah and also i mean along the way they're looking at manufacturing and manufacturing in space, manufacturing yeah. in space mm-hmm. it's just about right. to say
1: that like why focus on the planets then like you know we, we pretty much got the space station up there yeah that's right why not make a uh a test bed on the iss <laughs> you
0: know i think there is i think they have yeah, a sure they do. Uh, yeah. plastic 3d printer already up there oh wow uh, and I. I remember about three or four years ago, uh, people were talking about uh, 3D printing on Mm -hmm. the surface of Mars. So if you look up construction 3D printing, that concept was an idea of someone, uh, some university that wanted to do uh, in-situation manufacturing. I think I remember that. So scooping up all the material around you, turning that in aggregate and being able to print it, that's one of the steps. But uh, there's a lot of uh, interesting work on construction. 3D printing and construction.
1: You said six spacewalks while she was up there. Yeah. Three hundred and twenty-eight days, and you've only been outside six times.
0: See, can you imagine that the clothes you're wearing protects you from utter death?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you mention it like that, it's like, wow, I can't believe <laughs> yeah. she went outside six times. Yeah. But like, I think I think somebody um when when I was an undergrad studying physics, uh my professor told me like we okay so when we were um st- before we were allowed to start quantum mechanics yep. and really get into like uh a lot of our radiation okay. labs where we'd be messing with like cesium 137 and stuff like that right we had to take a short course on the dangers of radiation poisoning oh, oh yeah and that was really brutal. Yep. Like, like watching, like you know, last year HBO had the series on Chernobyl. Yeah. And you saw all these like miserable ways to go out from like the radiation poisoning and stuff like that. We, yeah. We learned all of that in uh, <laughs> in undergrad. It, it was it, and it's frightening stuff. And I asked yeah. my professor, "Is is radiation poisoning the worst way to go out?" And he pauses and he thinks a little bit. He's like, "It's it's probably tied for being." in space without a spacesuit. oh yeah and i was like okay explain that (laughs) and then i kind of ate my words a little bit but it's like so on one side of you you have the sun right and because there's no like buffer between you and the sun's heat you're absorbing all that heat so one side of you is going to start boiling right while the other side of you that's not exposed to the sun is going to (laughs) freeze And so you're experiencing both freezing right. to death and burning to death at the same time. All in one shot. And that's... That's terrible. Okay. All right. You're now meeting my words again. 328 <laughs> days.
0: Man. I wouldn't go outside That's either. impressive for having to go <laughs> outside six times. That's awesome. Uh, so let's transition to the test bed. What are we at going on uh, this this uh, couple loops for the test bed. So the cobot is installed. Yeah. It is mounted to the workbench. Yeah. And we have it moving. Nice. What difficulties did you run into either installation or software wise since um, you got it moving? It's been really easy. I got to okay. say, it's compared to the Pocket NC, everything's been a
1: cakewalk. Wow. Now the Pocket NC is not bolted down to the test bed. Right. So I think the hardest thing so far <laughs> with the robot arm was getting it bolted down onto the workbench. Right. Um, That's also because we wanted the robot arm to reach everything. So we wanted to reach everything. We want it to be stable. Right. Um, And it's got to be mounted to that metal work seven gauge steel metal workbench, Yep. So uh, it doesn't flex too much. Um, There's a little bit of play when you're at the outer limits of its reach. Sure. Um, And um, but but it's been a cakewalk in terms of, you know, the Pocket NC really is an industrial piece of manufacturing technology. Right. There's no like getting started guide. There's no like, you know, <laughs> hand holding. I mean, yeah, they have it on the Pocket NC website. Sure. that is a serious piece of like kit. Right. Um, as for this Cobot has been I, I can't emphasize it. it's been a cakewalk. Yeah. Like uh super easy to get into. Um, there's been a few times where I've almost crashed it into itself sure. and then it stops and it's like I know I'm. I'm self aware. Yeah, <laughs> the cobot's totally self aware of itself yep. and knows when one joint will collide with another joint because it's yeah. a seven joint arm. Yep. Um, yep. and it's it's just been incredible. Now it doesn't know where other stuff is. Sure. And you sure. can, if you've got the CAD models, which we do. Right. You know, you can put that in. Um, this cobot actually does have a digital twin. OK, so while you're operating the arm, yep. you can look on your computer screen and watch the arm move. That's cool. And another cool thing is when it's about to crash, a big warning pops up on the computer screen and it says this is about to crash. Yep. Would you like to um, simulate a fix or with the digital twin Yep. or would you like to just go right back to controlling it and get it out of whatever risky oh, business it's in, whatever tight spot it's in. Yeah. And I haven't tried the simulation yet just sure. because it's like, you know, I'm not doing anything super dangerous yet. <laughs> right. Um. But yeah. And I think you, you can add in all of your other 3d models of stuff that you have. So I've got to add that next. Nice. Um. Once you upload, once I upload the model I have of, our test bed, yep. it theoretically should know where everything is. It should okay. know where the bench is, yeah. and it should know where the pocket NC is. That's awesome. Um, Haven't programmed anything else in there yet. But, Excited to see that. You know, all of that stuff you made me slave over in the past, <laughs> it might actually be useful. It'll I'm come kidding. together. It's, of course, that stuff's useful. Yeah. But it might actually be something that we can use on the software for the robot. Yep. Um, so the only major hiccup was... Uh, and it's not even major hiccup. The only thing that you know I had to be careful with was um, measuring and marking all the spots on the workbench to drill the holes to right. bolt it down, um, which was easy. I had uh, Sean and Jesse from IT mm-hmm. help uh, help with that. And when it came to actually bolting it down, I was on the underside of the table, uh, threading the nuts onto the bolts. With the lock washers and whatnot. And because we had just drilled that steel table, there was a lot of burrs yeah. and, and you know, pretty sharp little metal chips right. uh, on the underside of the table. So, I, you know, I had to be careful, wear eye protection, mm-hmm. wear uh, gloves to not cut my hands up trying to thread this stuff, yep. you know, just trying to bolt it down. But and, and that's been like the most dangerous, the hardest part of the robot so far. Yeah. Other than that, it's been it's it's really been a breath of fresh air. And we still uh are waiting on the gripper. Waiting on the gripper. Yep. So earlier, uh before we even got into our banter, I mentioned China and yep. they're they're going through the whole coronavirus thing and you know, I I hope they I hope that stuff gets cleared up quickly, but uh probably not quickly, but it wow. will it will hopefully it gets cleared up soon enough. Right. Um reached out to Zoe who's been my primary point of contact at U factory. This is the the, the nice lady that I was uh pestering yep. for 14 months straight <laughs> on where the hell is my robot. Right. But you know, I checked in with her. I was like, I hope everything's all right. Um wanted to let you know the robot's awesome. Yeah. Thank you guys for making such a a killer product. Um we're doing this is a, some of the things we're doing with it and then you know just just updating her hoping she's doing she, she's, her and her her team are doing well right and then also like <clears throat> um where's my gripper <laughs> <laughs> just squeezing that last request yes. <laughs> yeah so they're like oh we're so sorry um We'll try to get it out to you as soon as possible, but yeah. nobody's allowed back at the office right now. Yeah, they've completely shut like, down a yes, lot of industries. Yeah, a lot of the stuff has been totally shut down. Yep. And and plus I had to like wait so long to reach out to them because of uh, a Chinese New Year. Oh yeah. I wasn't able right. to reach out to them until February 6th. Yep. So so there was that um but uh yeah, we'll we'll try to get it out to you by March. And so that's that's when I I think the gripper might be here. Yeah. Um Good. I'm not gonna pester them that hard like I did with the initial robot <clears throat> arm the arm shipment. Yeah.
0: Just because, you know, well, we still have tests. they've got
1: something they got some stuff going down right now. They've got a few problems.
0: Yeah. But we do have stuff that'll keep us busy up until Oh, absolutely. I mean, so you want to walk us through the next series of projects. So I we mean, got lined before
1: up. I even get yeah. into the yesterday I just started fiddling with the collision detection. Yeah. yeah. And the teach sensitivity Uh i still have no idea how to teach the robot anything Uh yet um which is one of the follow-up projects um the next step is i need to learn how to teach it things yep um once i figure out how to teach it things i want to uh automate some moves Uh for the arm and once i have it automating some motions um i want to endurance test those the automation yep so I want to get it to uh, go through some motions over half hour and then I want to scale it up to over lunch, which yeah. is an hour break. And then I want to scale it up to overnight, you know, while I'm while we're all away from the office, uh-huh. see if it didn't crash at night. Yep. Um, and then if that goes well, we'll uh, automation endurance test some automation um, over the weekend and then uh, all the way to the end of um you know, while I'm away on travel, yeah, or when I'm just at my desk and there's people touring our floor, right, and I want people to safely be able to walk up to it while it's doing something. It right. is a cobot after all; it's yeah. supposed to be able to detect collision and not hurt anybody. I want you know when when Steve Lesnowich in membership uh-huh. is walking, you know, a new member around the office, introducing them when I want them, when they go by the test bed, I want them, Oh, and this is, this is our test bed. Yeah. And look at it the robot doing things, right. this shiny thing, you know, messing with the, the, our five axis mill. <laughs> no, he'll probably say it's a 3d printer. But <laughs> no, he knows better. I got to give him credit. That's good. Um, But yeah, that's really what I got going on. Uh, let me, yeah, yeah the endurance test, uh, and then automating some moves and, uh, teaching it things. So yeah.
0: That's cool. Are next steps. Uh, so we want to get in some articles. The first one I got a kind of light one, but it's pretty useful. So RFID uh, tags for tracking tools uh, real-time. So it's awesome. a little widget, little guy, that's only 6 millimeters by 2 millimeters by 2.3 millimeters. Wow. So really, really small tag that uh, can be used for attaching onto metallic objects. Yeah. So the idea would be you can place this on tooling, on... Um, uh, any work-holding equipment, anything uh, semi <clears throat> yeah. And then you can read the tags. I mean, it's got 96 bytes of primary storage with uh, another 64 bits of uh, user memory. So you can hold a fair amount of data. And <clears throat> I'm not sure the distance that you need to uh, be able to read from this, but uh, it is... Uh, Ultra high frequency band range. Wow. So you should be able to read it pretty far. So, and six millimeters by two millimeters by something That's else, not whatever them. you say.
1: That is nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, even with the pocket NC, with that work envelope and how small some of the parts are on that, yeah. that would fit on the vice. Yeah, absolutely. That would fit in the
0: little tool holders. Yeah.
1: Everything could be marked or so RFID tagged with that.
0: One of the uh, use cases I've seen recently is the automation of checking parts in and out of your um, tooling crib. So, Assigning it to a user, assigning it to a machine. So instead of having to manually uh, put information on a sheet of paper or a spreadsheet using the RFID tags uh, and then tracking it once it gets into a cell or a machine and then know, knows when, uh, it's at a machine. So that was really interesting. I thought how, how useful, how small the RFID tag is. Um, and we'll probably see that uh, get smaller and smaller in the next couple of couple of years. Nice. Uh, what article you got, Steve? Um, actually, before I get
1: into that... Remind me another thing that I keep forgetting to do on the test bed. Sure, we got the new robot. One of the first things I did with the Pocket NC was mark each axis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you reminded yet. me to yeah. mark each <laughs> joint on yeah. the robot because you can control the joints individually. Right. I got to get the label maker from IT yep. and mark the joints. I
0: keep forgetting to do that. I got to stop putting that off. It was. It'll be so much easier after we did it on the Pocket NC. It became a way of life. It's yeah. so much easier to try yeah. to manually move the machine with the, with the labeled. It really is. But, okay, <clears throat> the article that I
1: have is uh, – I'm going off the rails here from what I I typically pull an article from uh, Tech Trends that sure. I find really interesting. Today, for this podcast, this is a couple of things that are different than normal. Number one, this, pu- this article isn't published yet. Right. Number two, it's not from Tech Trends. <laughs> It's from Kathy Webster of Exhibitions. She writes a lot of articles for uh, IMTS Insider. And she was out um, talking to Big Kaiser, a great member of ours. Shout out to Chris Kaiser. Right. Um, That he... She was she was uh, talking with them and a question came up and she asked them, hey, who's a uh, what what are some really interesting customers that you can disclose to me? Uh, Obviously, you know, um, government contractors don't want to be disclosed. They don't want to talk about what they do and stuff. But they were like, you know, you want to know a really cool customer of ours, a uh, company called. um, Let me get it. I I think it's Harrelson Um, Harrelson Trumpets. Yep. Um, this guy—it's not a nickname. Yeah, Harrelson Trumpets. This 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 company. Yep. This guy makes trumpets, a brass musical instrument, right? But with totally non-traditional, unorthodox means. Cool. So. A brass, you know, the trumpet has been around since, you know, the beginning of time. It's like one of the, I mean, maybe not one of the first (laughs) musical instruments, but it's an old, it's been around for a long time. It's so old. How made had an episode on it. Yeah. Yeah, and actually now I want to watch that episode because yeah. I'm sure it is totally different than how this guy makes they them. They do a lot of forming and spinning. Uh, yeah, I would think, you know, may- maybe the most advanced they get is like mandrel bent tubing. Right. But, you know, they didn't have mandrels bending <laughs> brass tube back in the day when the trumpet was invented. I have no idea how they were made in the old-timey days, but this guy is using a lot of CNC machines, uh-huh. CNC lathes and CNC mills, and even a three a metal 3D printer here and there. Yep. And um, he's just trying to – I know – he he said something like, I know I can make a better trumpet using modern technology cool. and, and science. And uh, it, it's just so wild because I'm thinking, I did that. I mean, I didn't do that exactly, but I milled <laughs> brass. Right. You know, people told yeah. me I couldn't mill brass, and I figured it out eventually. Yeah. And this guy's doing that. He's milling brass. And he said, you know, uh, Big Kaiser said he's bought. Um, you know, a handful of spindles from them, mm-hmm. um, a 20,000 RPM spindle and two, uh, 50,000 RPM air spindles. Right. And I was like, that's exactly what right. you need. <laughs> you know, my spin, the pocket NC spindle tops out at 10,000 RPM and it's simply not fast enough to cut brass. Yep. You really need to be moving to cut brass. It's a soft metal, but you really need to be chunking through it to cut it effect cleanly. And, uh. You know, high RPM, high torque. So it was just really cool hearing all that, being able to relate to it. That's and cool. And I want to be able to talk to them yeah. and and see the company. Hopefully we can set up a shop tour somehow. Yeah, that would be awesome but see that factor. It's, it's just really – like it's just – and I really like it when there is a traditional product out there, something that's been around forever, but somebody tries to make it differently. Sure. I'm sorry. Reinventing the wheel is cool to me. <laughs> like, when people, I, I hate it when like engineering mm. students, mm-hmm. real engineers don't say this. engineering students say something like, Oh, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. And it's like, You absolutely want to reinvent the wheel. Sure. Wheels are terribly inefficient in terms of aerodynamics. The wheel's the worst thing ever. <laughs> like, we need something different than a wheel. Well, I'm getting out of hand, but like, yeah. you know, like. Well, like Rolex, Rolex became such a huge company because they took traditional watchmaking and were like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. Right. Our high, high end Swiss timepieces, mechanical watches are made on a fully automated assembly mm-hmm. line. Yeah. They don't see hairspring setters. Right. Or, or, um, uh, you know, people that do black or white polishing. Right. Um. It's it, it's all done by robots and yeah. machines, man. And, and that's what this
0: guy's trying to do. Yeah. And I yeah, think absolutely. it's awesome. It he cool. could be the Rolex of trumpets. And it is, I do like the mixed factories where you have combinations of uh, manufacturing processes. Mm-hmm. So not just a company that does subtractive. So they don't have just lines and lines of mills. They've got some forming. They've got some yes. assembly. Yes. So seeing all encompassing manufacturing facilities is kind of a rare thing nowadays. And it's really cool to see. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of shops like specialize, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's awesome. That's really cool. Uh, hopefully, uh, Kathy will give us some yeah. contact info. Uh, the next article I want to get into is um, uh, additive manufacturing, some further acceptance. Uh, so we've got an article from 3dprint.com, and they talk about how Honeywell is working with Velo 3D. Uh, they purchased a bunch of sapphire 3D printers uh, to specifically attack the aerospace market. So they are making uh, parts that can be uh, someday used in uh, airplanes. Um and a quote from Dr. Soren Weiner, uh, we intend to qualify this equipment through repeatability testing in our production environment, including build and post-processing to generate an acceptable set of material property data and qualification of flight hardware. I think that's one thing that's um, not talked about quite a bit in overall acceptance is the uh, material property data. Mm -hmm. When when I was designing parts a bunch of years ago, all the mathematical information or material characteris- characteris- characterization of mat- uh, material was from you know, mill handbooks and uh, yes. data that's been tested for a long time. So, not only do they do um, uh, yield and uh, uh, ultimate testing of uh, several pieces, so you have a, a good lot size, but they also do fatigue testing, they do uh, stress creep testing, they do uh, testing at temperature. So you don't have to guess on what those properties are. They've done that testing for you. Well. Wow. And it's good to see that they're taking a very similar approach on that. Well, of course, it's going to take time. It increases your confidence. And that's the biggest thing that they talk about in the material handbooks is what's your confidence interval. Uh, so now they're able to boost that. Then uh, being able to predict what they perceive the performance will be. will be super valuable to them.
1: So when you say like material handbooks, do you mean like the machinist's handbook? No, no, like no. This even is,
0: more high speed than that. No, this is book. These are... Uh, books that characterize just materials. Okay. So if you look at Inconel 625 properties, there's 200 some pages on uh, its uh, fatigue strength at temperature, at room temperature, at just and Inconel 625. Yeah, yeah, and then wow. there, it gives some characteristics on machinability, formability, some narrative on that. But then <laughs> oh. it gives charts and graphs of all these different properties at different temperatures, different different uh, situations. That's Uh, cool. It was a mill handbook that got converted to uh, a different uh, um, publishing company now. So, Uh, yeah, I thought that was really interesting that uh, Honeywell – of course, they're a big company, so they not only have their engines, but also a part supplier. So attacking it from a bottom-up from that perspective, I think it's really useful for their space market. So, Yeah, really cool. I find it interesting. Like, you know, you hear about – like, we hear about
1: big companies like Honeywell a lot Mm -hmm. and, of course, like Siemens with, like, you know, their medical equipment and their machine tool controllers, but – for, like, the average person, when you think Honeywell, it's like, oh, man, that's, like, the cheapest window fan you can get at Walmart. <laughs> or, oh, yeah, like, you, oh, you have a Nest uh, uh, therm- automated thermostat, like Amazon yeah. th- or a Google thermostat yeah. or whatever. I've got a Honeywell. Yeah. The I've little got dial a, thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's a Honeywell. The, <laughs> the little five-day program you know, thermostat. Just on the wall over there, we've got yeah. – uh, all around our office building, we have Siemens thermostats. Yep. You know, and – I wonder how they feel about like a new nest coming in. It's like, who's this?
0: You, you don't make military equipment. <laughs> that, that's a weird thing about these large multi-billion-dollar conglomerates. They do such a variety of yeah. products, right? Like uh, GE. GE has power generation turbine mm-hmm. engines, right? Right. But at the same time, they also make the little tray that I put underneath my washing machine. Right. So if it's Christmas lights. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's neat. They make washing machines in the little tray to uh, protect the floor from getting wet. Yeah. It's and weird.
1: At least it's nice to know that, you know, a company like Honeywell is actually still a big company doing right. stuff. And because yeah. every now and then you see like a cheap TV that says RCA. That's not RCA. Oh, yeah. Somebody bought that brand name, but, you know, Honeywell
0: keeps it real. <laughs> Honeywell keeping it real. <laughs> uh, the last article I want to talk about is from uh, Inside Big Data. Uh, not the best. Uh, website, but it's fine. Uh, it talks about uh, busting five common myths business leaders get wrong about AI. Uh, the nice. first one is uh, AI will take over jobs. That's not true. Right, we know. Uh, the article talks about how uh, AI is used to embody and empower the workforce and how it just, there's certain things that can't be done by humans. Handling large and large amounts of data yeah. and categorizing that data just can't be done by humans. It'll it's, it's take years and years and years to process a quarter of that data. So right rather than saying it's gonna uh, replace humans and actually um, re-emphasize the value of humans. Uh, the other, the second one is, I talk about is AI works like the human brain. No, nope, that's definitely not true. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about the complexity of the human brain and the, all the variables that go into it versus the mathematical processing of how artificial intelligence works. It's all based on math, right? which is repeatable and uh, uh, and implemented through software. Um, the last one, uh, the last one before they get into the uh, some of the marketing side of the article is that AI is, is objective. That 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 gets a little hairy because the the way uh, AI tools are built up is there's some level of bias automatically built into it because humans are teaching AI AI tools how to work. Mm-hmm. So once you're teaching it something, you're automatically implying some level of bias. So whether or not it's categorizing cats, dogs—that's a good point. Uh, AI's will never be completely objective because it's based on some level of learning set that has bias built into it. Right. So I think that's an important uh, tool to think about too. Um, The last two things is AI is difficult to implement. Uh, It's seen a a very good, very quick transition of being this ambiguous, nebulous thing versus widgets and doodads that can be implemented very, very quickly. So we have our... um, uh, um, software development team, uh, and I'm working with uh, Kalesh on uh, implementing uh, different tools to categorize uh, uh, research papers. Right. Uh, a lot of the AI tools, or more specifically machine learning tools, are basically uh, software command lines. So you put in the data, you call in this command line, and you get the data back, uh, the results back. So it's it's fairly straightforward for implementing it. It's the data scrubbing required to get to a proper data set to process. That's the difficult part. And we've seen that number of times in talking with Nina, our own data scientist, that uh, actually running the command lines, running the mathematical tools, that's 10% of the time. Uh, 75, 80% of it is scrubbing the data so it's clean enough to actually run the process, run the uh, mathematical tools. Uh, And the last one they talk about is business don't need AI strategy. I think that's, that's pretty solid. That's a fairly succinct advice in that if you're doing anything with data... You're gonna need some type of machine learning or AI strategy in that. How do you make your business better? How do you work faster? How do you work more intelligently? Right. Um, and in some cases, you're not. And that was weird. I don't know what that beep was. Why but, is there a phone in the studio? <laughs> I don't know, put that phone in there. <laughs> but in the end, there's a. You're gonna be doing something with artificial intelligence, whether or not just uh, categorizing data or manipulating um, <clears throat> information to get forecasting information or predictions. Um, it's best to have a strategy. Even if the strategy says we're not going to do anything, that in itself is a useful strategy to be aware about. Yes, so it's a uh, yeah, it's useful. That is that that is a good strategy because yeah. you got
1: too many times. Like man, don't you don't want to hear Doug go on about uh, somebody saying somebody saying like, oh oh, you know, I I want like you know, I want all of this data. It's like, okay, what specific data points right. from your factory do you want? Yep.
0: All of them. It's like, okay, well, what are you going to do with the data? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, that's <laughs> still that's the that's still a, that's still a really, really big problem is they want to acquire the data but not solve a business need. I, I wish that article kind of talked about that a little bit more, is that uh, what's the problem that you want to solve? The, still, we had a, uh, a meeting a couple of months ago with uh, a variety of groups and We talked about uh, one implementation of uh, just dashboarding, determining whether or not your machine's on and off. You said that that simple state, uh, simple data set, is going to uh, provide uh, process improvement opportunities for the next couple of years for their factory. Why would I want to go above and beyond that when I? The simple fact is. What's my machine utilization? Is it on? Is it off? And right. how long was it on? How long is it running for? You, how do I increase that? Are you talking about what you heard from the uh, Joint Technology Summit? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. That I was love awesome. that.
1: that was like, we, we implement MT Connect. Yeah. You know, uh, what do you use it for? And it's like,
0: we just use it to see if our spindle's on or right. off. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and it's still something. That's, then that, you're doing it right. I mean, in the end, you're making more money because of that. That's the key, right? Does it have so much more <clears throat> potential? Absolutely. Do you need it? No. Right. You can't just implement technology for new technology. Yeah. Got to make money off of it. That's right, man. So where can they find more information on these articles,
1: Steve? Um, Well, for my article that does not yet exist, I'm going (laughs) to give them a link to the Harrelson Trumpet Company, which is whyharrelson.com. And in the meantime, if you want to check out other awesome articles written by uh, our Kathy Webster over in exhibitions, check out imtsinsider.org.com. Com. we'll put a link we'll put a link <laughs> and then you can check out my test bed at uh you can google uh, adventures of an amateur machinist or you can go to swarfysteve steve all
0: one word dot com. and you can find me on linkedin for my uh, latest news nice i think that's it steve clutch move ben bye everybody bye <laughs>